This is the Apex United Methodist Church podcast. So this morning, uh, we are continuing our sermon series on worship. And it's a series during which we have been asking the question, you know, why do we worship? Uh, why do we gather? Why, after thousands of years of this weekly rhythm of Sabbath, uh, do we continue this practice? And what do the practices that we do from uh, communion to baptism uh, to prayers uh, to fellowship, what do they mean for us uh, as, as this body of Christ? And so this week, uh, as would be appropriate, we have prepared or been preparing a sermon on baptism. Uh, we are baptizing uh, five young people today. Uh, we're baptizing uh, one or a 935 service, uh, one here at 11, another one in our contemporary service at the same time. And then two of our youth uh, will be baptized by immersion immediately following service or as part of the service uh, out in our courtyard. And, and baptism is one of, those, uh, one of those things that's so vital and so important to who we are as God's children. It preaches and teaches us so much truth about God's claim on us. And because it's something that we have uh, done so often and because it's become part of our DNA, uh, I actually had a time this week uh, to write my sermon back on Monday. Now, if, for those that know me, uh, they know that for me to finish a sermon on Monday is nothing short of a small miracle. Uh, I have been known to continue to write my sermon uh, throughout the week, uh, perhaps even into the weekend, and sometimes, although very rarely, uh, I hope, uh, sometimes on Sunday mornings, I'm wrapping up what we're going to talk about today. Uh, but I've been, we were ready, and Monday came, and, and, Angela and I, Angelo and I have been working on these things together, and so we were prepared, we had gone through the week, and, and I was ready for this weekend. And we knew uh, that it would simply be another sermon on baptism, and the glories and the truth that baptism brings. But on Friday night, uh, something changed. And if you watch the news, uh, you may have seen uh, that in Charlottesville, uh, another uh, act of hatred and an act of violence began to roll out on a place that I dearly love. Uh, many of you may know this, and if you do not, my wife and I both attended the University of Virginia. And so to watch the news unfold this weekend of what's been happening uh, in Charlottesville uh, hit really close to home for us. So we watched places that we knew and loved and walked alongside uh, be uh, just trampled uh, with, with hate and with violence and with uh, stuff that just does not belong in our communities. Amen. And so I began to prepare again for this morning and realized uh, that it was going to take another Sunday morning tweak <laughs> uh, to prepare well uh, for this passage. And yet, by God's grace and God's mercy, I think much of what we were going to talk about uh, this morning anyway uh, still deeply applies. See, it's important for us as God's people uh, to be willing uh, to name things when they are not right. <clears throat> to not simply sit back and set a step away from uh, these harmful things, but to speak into uh, those things that don't match who we are. And my hope and my challenge uh, for myself, for us as God's people, is that we don't simply come and gather in this place for an hour a week and sing some pretty songs and hear beautiful choirs and pray some prayers, but that in these things of formation, we are so changed, we are so transformed that we cannot help 
but leave this place and speak against those things that are against the kingdom of God. That is my prayer, that is my challenge, and that is my hope. See, the body of Christ has always been a people who gather and are sent. We gather for God's word, we gather to pray together, we gather to worship together, we gather to fellowship, to break bread together, to baptize together. And then we're sent into the world to be proclaimers of God's peace, of God's grace, of reconciliation, and of God's truth and God's love. And that's our invitation. And so this morning, uh, my hope is that we're simply going to go back to some things that I know for us uh, are relatively basic, (laughs) uh, relatively core to our identity. And again, this is the passage we were going to preach from anyway, but it certainly has taken on new light for me as we've stepped into uh, this weekend. So I'm going to invite you to open with me to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus 20 uh, is uh, one of those passages in Scripture that is probably familiar uh, to most of us, uh, even if you did not grow up in the church. Uh, It is the Ten Commandments. Uh, They are uh, the time where Moses is leading God's people out of Egypt. Uh, They had led them from slavery. They had been in slavery for 400 years. They had crossed the Red Sea. Uh, They were gathering in the desert and journeying for 40 years. And as part of that, God was shaping this generation to reflect the values that God desired uh, for his people. And so God looks at Moses, and he asks Moses to pass these words along to God's people. And this is what he says, Exodus chapter 20, beginning with verse 1. It says, Then God spoke all these words. He says, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, And you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make you for yourself an idol, whether in the form of anything that is in heaven above, or that is on the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing children for the inequities of parents to the third and the fourth generation of those who reject me, but showing steadfast love to the thousandth generation of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not make wrongful use of the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not acquit anyone who misuses his name. I'm going to stop right there for a moment. God looks at God's people. He looks at this generation of Israelites who are moving with Moses across the desert, who are leaving slavery, who are leaving oppression. And he he orients them to the one thing that matters really most to all of us. And that is this simple truth. And I think if we get nothing else, we can sort of wrap our minds around this one. You know, God is God, and we are not. That should be an easy one. (laughs) And it should be freeing, uh, because I think that's a job that none of us really want to have. But God reminds his people, he says, I am God. I am your God. I am the one who both journeys with you and sets you free from the places of oppression, free from the places of slavery, free from addiction, free from pain, and gives you a hope for the future. God is that God. Unfortunately, what we tend to do in our culture, in ourselves, in our communities, is we create these idols, these other gods to rule over our decisions. These other things that are going to orient us to a different kind of truth. God's like the economy. God's like our jobs. Idols like, uh, like racism. Idols like fear. 
and violence. Idols like what it means to be in relationship with other. And we take these idols and we let them orient us away from the kingdom values that God desires for us. And when we make these idols more important than God, our lives become slaves to these idols. Our lives become slaves to our jobs or to our relationships, to our families, to our friendships, to our perspectives on the world that are not in line with God's kingdom, and our decisions then begin to reflect those things. And so God's first call to each of us is that you are mine, mine alone. You are my children. I mean, I told our children earlier as part of our children's time that that's the most important name that any of us carry. It's not the name that our, our parents give us. It's not the name that our friends may call us on a playground. It's, it's not the title that we receive in industry. The most important name that any of us hold with us is the name child of God. That is our first name and our primary name. Moses continues with verse 8. He says, Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work, you, your son, or your daughter, your male or female slave, your livestock, or the alien resident in your towns. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and, and the sea and all that is in them, but rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and consecrated it. Again, we'll pause right there. God says there's an importance to this rhythm. And again, we come back to this in this space over and over again where we say and are reminded that this weekly rhythm of worship, this weekly rhythm of fellowship and prayer and scripture is so vital to the formation of who we are. But the other thing I love about this passage is that, that God reminds us that it's for, for all people. It's for your sons and your daughters. It's independent of economics. It's for your male and female slave. It's even for your livestock, those that work on behalf it's even for those alien residents in your towns, for those that don't even yet know a home here. Worship is for all people. It is the one place where God gathers all of his people, all of us out of rhythm and brings us to this place to be in relationship with each other, to face each other and experience those truths together. And when we do that, when we are reoriented to God as our Father, when we reoriented to this rhythm of Sabbath, everything in our lives begin to change. Verse, verse 12. Honor your father and your mother, so that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. See, it begins to change our relationships with our parents. And for some of us, those relationships are very healthy. For some, they have been unhealthy. And yet we are to honor the ancestors that have come before us and have prepared for us a way. Verse 13. You shall not murder. He calls out violence. He says, this is retribution and violence is no longer the path of God's people. It is, it is not ours to go and, 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 and commit violence or murder on the other. Verse 14, you should not commit adultery. Our, our relationship with our spouse changes. Our faithfulness and calls uh, to faithfulness become primary. You shall not steal. Our relationship with economics change. The business world is not something for us to simply gain what we can gain, but it becomes a way for us to live faithfully and justly and to give those things away and, and, and recreate economics in a way that's faithful to the kingdom. Verse 16, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Truth becomes our ally. And verse 17, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. 
You shall not cover your neighbor's wife or male or female slave or ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Even our desires begin to change. God wants to orient us in a way that our relationship with God, our relationship with each other, and our relationship with the world reflects not our desires, not our pride, not our priorities, but reflects the priorities of the kingdom of God. And so I believe when something happens like this weekend happened, and unfortunately our news has looked like this for months and months and years and years, we cannot seem to escape it. I think God's invitation to us is to be a people who act consistently with God's kingdom values. That we reject the things that tear us apart. We reject things like racism. We reject things like bigotry and power struggles. We reject things like violence. And we reject things like creating fear in our neighbor. And instead, we seek a beloved community that reflects something different for this world. This morning, I'm going to invite you actually to open with me to page 34 of your hymnals. In a moment, I'm going to ask uh, Daniel and Shannon uh, to answer these questions. Uh, This is the baptismal covenant that they make on behalf of Tatum and for their family. But I think it's also a reminder to each of us the promises that we make when we claim and are being claimed by God. So I'm going to invite us as a church to answer these collectively and corporately this morning. And so I simply ask you the same questions that I'm going to ask them in a moment. And that 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 is these. Do you... As Christ's body, the church, renounce the spiritual forces of wickedness, reject the evil powers of this world, and repent of your sin. If so, say, I do. I do. Do you accept the freedom and power God gives you to resist evil, injustice, and oppression, whatever forms they present themselves? If so, say, I do. I do. And do you confess Jesus Christ as your Savior, put your whole trust in his grace, and promise to serve him as your Lord in union with the church? which Christ has opened to people of all ages, nations, and races. If so, say, I do. I do. And we're going to move over to page 35. Because this promise that we'll make to Tatum this morning is also a promise we continually make to each other. Do you as Christ's body of the church reaffirm both your rejection of sin and your commitment to Christ? If so, say, we do. We do. And will you nurture one another in the Christian faith and life? and include each other now before you in your care. With God's help, we will proclaim the good news and live according to the example of Christ. We will surround these persons with a community of love and forgiveness that they may grow in their trust of God, be found faithful in their service to others. We will pray for them that they may be true disciples who walk in the way that leads to life. Amen. So this morning, here are my challenges to us. May we be a people so marked by the waters of God's grace, by the waters of the Holy Spirit poured out on us, that we too would choose to reject the evil powers of this world, that we too would choose to accept the freedom and power God gives us to claim a new way, a new path, a new community, and that we too, in the power of salvation through Jesus Christ, experience freedom from addiction, freedom from hate, freedom from violence, and freedom to live as a new kind of people. This morning, as we baptize all the children that we baptize here, there are three things that I think are so important for us, and they're important for them, and they're important for us. 
The first is that God is claiming them. God is claiming us. God's love, even when our love fails, God's love remains steadfast. God's love is still present. So God is claiming them as part of God's family. The second is that we make the promise to those children and to each other that we just made over and again. We promise to be a church that models for this world what the kingdom of God might actually look like. That when we leave this place, as I say so often, that when we leave this place, people might see us and they actually might see a reflection of Jesus. And the third is that we are holistically reminded that we too are God's children. We too, in the midst of our flaws and our mistakes and our failures and our shortcomings, that our primary identity is as a forgiven, beloved, reconciled child of God. And that everything we do is founded and stems from that truth. My, my prayer for us is going to be to be a people who reflect that truth in all that we do. On the back of your scripture cards is that question, which is which you do you reflect to this world? Who do you reflect to this world? And I pray that whatever sin we need washed away this morning, whatever desires we need pushed aside, whatever identity is claiming us above God's identity on us might be set aside so that we might be reminded that at the beginning and at the end, we are God's child. Let me pray for us this morning. Almighty God, we do ask this morning, uh, we ask for your Holy Spirit to fall afresh on us. We ask for your Holy Spirit to renew us. And Lord, where there is hate, we ask that you would bring your love. Where there is violence, that you would bring your peace. Where there is racism, that you would bring reconciliation. And where the the people of this world seek to divide, the people of your church would seek to welcome all in and to be a body that reflects the unity of your kingdom. Lord, help us to do that in our neighborhoods, in our families, in our workplaces, and everywhere that we go. May we reflect you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.